Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship on our first ever tailgate Sunday. Uh, the Titans aren't playing today because of, uh, of COVID, uh, but so I've been a lifelong Cowboys fan, so I've got my uh, Zeke Elliott jersey on to preach this morning. And uh, we certainly want to lift up uh, the Titans players. We want to lift up the president, the first lady, and the thousands of people who continue to battle uh, this uh, this horrible uh, illness across our, our country. Um, let's join for a word of prayer. Loving God, open our hearts and minds that we can hear a word from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are continuing our fall sermon series. It's called Common Ground operating under the basic assumption that in this culture of division, in this time of political polarization and partisan politics with an election a month away, I still believe that there is more that unites us than that divides us. And as Christians, we are all united by the core teachings of Jesus Christ. We are called to hear them to listen to them and then to go and apply them to our lives. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sets the bar very high. This is a challenging uh, text, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Some would even say it's impossible. At the end of our passage this morning, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And yet we know that, that we're not perfect. But at the end of Matthew 5, beginning with verse 38, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Then he goes on. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This, my friends, is a challenging text. I'm teaching a class at Vanderbilt this fall that's titled Faith politics and polarization. And we are looking at the polarization that has happened in American culture in recent years, really over the past 10 uh, or 12 years, has it really uh, become much worse? And that's for a variety of reasons. And, and over the past few weeks, we have been studying in the class the work of a guy named Jonathan Haidt, who wrote a book called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People differ over religion and politics. 
I teaches at NYU, the Stern School of Business up there, and much of his research is focused on morality and the basic moral foundations for liberals and conservatives. He says that there are six basic moral foundations. The first is fairness and cheating. The second is care and harm. The third is authority and subversion. The fourth is loyalty and betrayal. The fifth is sanctity and degradation. And then he later added a sixth one, which is liberty and oppression. What Haidt argues is that one of the main reasons that we are polarized in this culture is that different moral foundations appeal to different types of people. Part of this is our DNA, the way we are wired, and part of this is the way that we are raised and socialized and influenced by other people. So two people can see the exact same issue, but they see it very differently. So for example, when it comes to fairness and showing compassion, Liberals tend to show compassion for the weak by providing them with basic human needs like housing, food, and health care. Conservatives, on the other hand, seek to show compassion by teaching others how to help themselves through job training, wage subsidies, and work requirements. Both types of people are trying to show compassion, but they have a different idea of what compassion looks like and how that plays out. So Haidt's basic argument is that if we're going to move our country, our culture, back towards a place of civility and decency, then we must do a better job of understanding each other, which includes understanding moral psychology. But as we know, what has happened is we have demonized and dehumanized each other to the point that we don't make the effort to understand where somebody is coming from, why they feel the way that they do, and how they arrived at that specific point of view. But Jesus says in our text this morning, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus would say, find a way to get along, to have conversation, to listen, to understand each other better. But there's something that I want to talk about this morning that has made this so much more challenging in recent years. And I think it's made it so much more challenging and it's happened kind of slowly and gradually that maybe we don't even recognize it. And what I want to talk about is social media. A friend of mine in this church, uh, John Thompson, one of our deacons, he reached out to me a couple weeks ago and he said, have you seen the Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma? I had not. So uh, Megan and I watched it uh, over the course of, of two nights. And what I saw in that documentary was both mesmerizing and terrifying at the same time. And if you haven't seen that documentary, I would encourage you to go, if you have Netflix, go and watch The Social Dilemma, because I think in this age in which we live, this is a documentary that everybody should see. 
Many people have now allowed social media to completely take over their lives, to dominate their time. On the one hand, social media has done a lot of good. It's connected us with old friends, allows us to share pictures of our children and our families with those who live in a different city or town. It keeps us connected. During COVID, it's allowed many grandparents to see their grandchildren when they have not been able to to be with them uh, uh, in person uh, because they are in a high-risk category. But I want to make the case this morning that I'm very concerned about the downside of social media. I think it's very scary. I believe social media has made living out these teachings of Jesus at the end of Matthew 5, specifically these teachings about retaliation and loving enemies, much more difficult. Why do I say that? Well, first, social media is addictive. One of the things that's pointed out in that documentary, The Social Dilemma, is that people have the same addiction to social media that they do to drugs and alcohol. They can't get off of it. They can't put it down. They live for the likes and the retweets and the reinforcements. People in Silicon Valley who designed these platforms, many of them won't even allow their own children to have the devices because they know how addicting that they become. And they've said, this is a big problem. This is controlling our lives. And many of them won't even let their families uh, or their close friends, they would say, beware of this. I created this, but it's, it's, it's very dangerous. It's very hard to turn off. Secondly, social media allows people to type and post things that I think they would never say to somebody's face. It's created a culture of cowardice and separation because for whatever reason, people will put something on a screen that is so offensive, so outrageous, and so cruel that I highly doubt that they would actually go and say that in person to somebody's face. It has contributed to the dehumanization and the demonization of people, especially people with whom we disagree, people who are in a different political party, who have a different worldview, a different ideology. Third, social media is not a substitute for real relationships. It's not supposed to be a substitute, it's supposed to be a supplement, but so many people use it as a substitute. And guess what? This has only gotten worse this year during the pandemic because people are isolated. They are apart more than they're used to being. So they've spent even more time this year on social media. Before COVID ever started, we had a big problem in this country with loneliness and social isolation. It's been well documented for years that people are lonelier today than they've ever been before. People don't have friends. They don't connect. And then I would argue that COVID comes along and makes it much worse. Social media is is not the same thing as talking to somebody face to face. It's not the same thing as 
picking up the phone and checking on somebody. We have to understand this. It cannot be a substitute for face-to-face relationships. It's not adequate. It disappoints. It leaves much to be desired. The fourth danger that I see of social media is that it has thrown incredible fuel on the fires of division and polarization in American culture. It has created echo chambers where people only surround themselves with opinions that are just like their own. And artificial intelligence, what they call AI, does this automatically by tracking what we watch, what we post, where we live, what demographic we're in, and then it connects us with people who see the world the exact same way that we do. And unfortunately, it's the craziest things, the most extreme things that go viral. Not the good news, not the balanced ideas that make sense, but the extreme ideas go viral. And now we've reached a point where truth seems like it's up for grabs. And these platforms, I believe, feed retaliation and arguments, which is what Jesus is warning about in our passage this morning. So if those are the four dangers, then what can we do about it? And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. What can we do about this culture and age in which social media is out of control? Well, the first answer is obvious. We have to limit social media. And that applies to both children and parents. Sometimes parents can be the worst. And some people that I've talked to have become so addicted to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that they've just had to stop and get off of it altogether. Here's a test. See if you can go for three days without getting on social media. See if you can do it without checking, without posting. For some people, that would be simply impossible. And so we have to find ways to limit this and keep it under control. The second solution or idea that I want to put out there is that we don't need to respond to every attack and criticism. So many people think that they have to have the final word or the final post or the final email, but you don't. Some things just need to be left alone. Didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile? And I think there is tremendous wisdom if we read this passage from Matthew and we think about it in terms of social media. It's incredibly relevant. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We have to find a way in this culture to reduce the fighting and the tension that we see everywhere. Third, we need to be intentional about building authentic relationships that are not on a screen. 
And yes, I believe there's safe ways to do that right now. Meet on a patio, meet on a porch. Had a Bible study just this week with a, a group of woodmonters on somebody's back patio, spread out. Uh, the weather's nice, it's safe. But don't make all of your interactions digital. It's not healthy. One of the things that I've been challenging our staff to do during uh, this quarantine period is to reach out to people by phone in our church, call families, call people, especially people that are living alone, and check on them. Ask them how they're doing. Um, People are having a hard time, and and, and when you call somebody, what you find is they want to talk. They want to connect. They want to share with you how they're doing, how their family's doing. And so I think we need to do more of that by phone and in person, spaced out. We are social creatures, social beings. I don't think we do well when we live in isolation. And that's why this pandemic has been so hard. We were not made to socially distance for a really long period of time. We were made to connect and to be there to support each other. Fourth, we need to recognize that good, well-meaning people simply disagree on important issues. And that's one of the big points that Jonathan Haidt makes in his research, is that people might see issues or topics or politics differently, but that does not make them bad. That does not make them evil. Most people are moral creatures, but we're all coming from life, from our own point of view, our own perspective. And guess what? It's not going to be the same perspective that other people have. So we have to find a way to disagree in a healthy manner. We have to remember that that most people are trying to do good. They have good intentions, but in a stressful environment with everything going on like we have this year, it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to say that person is wrong, and not only are they wrong, they're evil, they're immoral. Some of you remember a guy that played basketball at Vanderbilt. His name was Shane Foster. He's the all-time leading scorer uh, at Vanderbilt. I think he has the record for the most three-pointers in Vanderbilt basketball history. Uh, He played in the NBA for a little while, and uh, now he lives here in Nashville. And I was on a a phone conversation this week. I've been doing a number of different um, uh, dialogues trying to to build bridges across racial lines in in this town. And, And Shane was speaking and presenting And he said something that's really stuck with me this week. He said this, he said, it's a perfect storm. COVID, mental health challenges, domestic violence, which has been on the rise, racial injustice, it's all happening at once. He said, we're all going through the exact same storm It's just that we're all in very different boats. And so we see the storm differently. And I think he's right. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be an agent of peace in a very stressful time.
Amen.